My name is Josh Jones. I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. I've been here for four years, and it's my privilege to be with you here today. Uh, she said, also, I do get to work with student ministries, so I, uh, I get to be with your students 6th um, through 12th grade often, and I love that. So thank you for the privilege of allowing me to uh, serve with them and our great team of student ministry volunteers. Um, I got to say today, just one disclaimer, that I only have a little bit to say on top of what you just saw from your kids' ministry workers. Uh, they almost said it all. And so uh, really excited for them and uh, just doing a great job. We're in this series called Open House, and we're talking about the one command that Jesus gave his church, that command to make more and better disciples. And so uh, we're taking a tour through the house called Bridgewater Church to see how this one command affects everything we do. Week one, we talked about the mission to make more and better disciples. We talked about why we do the things we do, the choices that we make as a church, why we dress the way we do, the music the way we do, why our buildings have the style that they do, and uh, why our kids' ministry is amazing and we make sure uh, that it is staffed and led by great, great people. And uh, week two was about the porch. It was about making things inviting. We want people to feel very comfortable coming to Bridgewater Church. And so I just want to quickly thank you for helping to make it so comfortable for so many people. It's pretty much every week I meet someone that I've never met before. And I say, what brought you to Bridgewater today? And they name a name. They name a name. And it's people like you who are uh, living for Jesus and inviting people along. So thank you for that. Week three, last week, we talked about the living room, the importance of small groups. And I just need to say that whenever our staff gathers to talk about small groups and Tunkanic shares, Adam will share about Tunkanic, our jaws just kind of drop. You guys are killing it when it comes to small groups. Um, just doing a really great job, a great team of leaders, a great team of uh, people who are very excited about it. And if you're here today and you're thinking, I don't know about small groups, it seems like something else, something extra, let me just assure you, it, it should just be a regular part of your life. Um, and if you've not experienced it, then at this point you don't know what you're missing, but you're missing it. So talk to somebody with a green shirt about joining a small group. I don't think that you will be sorry. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Kristen, for 19 years this year. We'll celebrate 19 in December. We have four kids. They're all here with us, uh, a boy and three girls, 16, 15, almost 13, and 11. So uh, we've got them in that order, and they're here with us today, and I'm excited about that. Um, I just want to quickly say that if you are here today and you are not, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. What you need to know is that you're kind of getting the inside track a little bit on what it's like to follow Jesus, and really, you're kind of off the hook in terms of having to do anything today other than just listen and see if you can track along with what's going on, because this message is really for those who would say, I am a follower of Jesus. Bridgewater is my church. So uh, just listen in and see if there's something here for you as well. But really, we are doing this open house series, but talking about our house and what happens in our house. We've done the porch. We've done the living room. Today is all about the kitchen. The kitchen. Some of us are very comfortable in the kitchen. Others, others of us are less comfortable in the kitchen. I want to get into it talking about this. A number of years ago, when our kids were much younger, um, it must have been a Monday night, maybe even a Sunday night. I don't know. But all I know is the Pittsburgh Steelers were coming on TV. All right. The game probably started at 8.15, 8.30. We had eaten dinner and um, gotten the kids to bed, and uh, I probably gave our kids a bath or shower. That was my responsibility when our kids were very young, and you could really hear me. 
when our kids were very young, uh, Kristen and I struggled with the schedule of when we were going to get time alone with God, just to read his word, to pray. Uh, I could get up early. I could sort of go to my office and get that done, but she really struggled. So one of the things we worked out is that I would do bath time as the kids were little. So I worked them up through the bath, trained them how to do that, shower, and then I lost my job. Uh, doing that, they can take care of themselves gladly. And uh, that's the time that she would open up her Bible and spend time with God. This is the way we worked it out. That all must have taken place because we had the kids in bed, and I know the game was coming on. And so I went into the living room, and I turned on the game, and not even thinking about what might have been happening in the kitchen. I probably subconsciously heard some clings and clatters and the splashing of water and some time was going on. And finally, Kristen stood in the little archway uh, looking into our living room. In fact, this is a picture of what that might have been like. This would have been the vantage point. That's cool. Back when he was much younger, he begged me to at least throw him a bone by telling you that at that time he was rooting for the Seahawks. And um, you could see that his team was doing well and the Steelers were not. So this wasn't that night. He would have been in bed. But Kristen comes and stands in the archway and says, hey, um, can you help me understand something? I said, sure. Now, I, I heard her because it must have been a commercial. Um, <laughs> so she timed it well, and I said, sure. She said, what's going through your mind right now? And I said, I, what do you mean? She's like, what are you thinking? When, when I'm here in the kitchen and you're here in the living room, what goes through your mind? And I was like, the game's on? Uh, time, time to turn it on? I don't, what are you getting at? And she said, I'm just, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around what you must be thinking when we've been doing this together with the four kids, like all this time, and now they're in bed, and there's a ton of stuff to do in the dining room and in the kitchen, and I'm taking care of it, and you're watching the game. And I said, oh, I was thinking that it's game time. I, and like it never crossed my mind. And she said, okay, well, that's helpful. Um, I think we need to probably keep talking about that. And I said, oh, okay. Now, how she did that was beautiful. And I got to tell you, there are different family cultures growing up. And maybe in your home, that's, that's the norm. That's what happens. Maybe in your home, when I started telling that story, you thought, uh-oh, trouble, right? I don't know. All I know is that every family comes up with their own rhythm for how they get things done. And, um, and we had to work through that little rhythm right there. But how she did it was beautiful because what she admitted was that she didn't know and wasn't accusing me for why I was sitting in the living room while she was taking care of everything, part of the mess that I had made uh, from dinner, all the dishes, etc. In fact, th there were a number of reasons why, why maybe I wasn't involved. Let me show you a few. All right. Maybe I was uninvolved because of ignorance. I had never thought about it. Maybe in my family culture growing up, dad left the table and never even took care of his napkin. All right, maybe that's true, and so that's just sort of a gear that I shifted into naturally, not even thinking about it. That could have been a possible cause. Maybe it was because I was just unwilling. Maybe I knew I had contributed to the mess, but thought, you know what? I work hard all day. You know, I serve and serve and give and give. I'm going to sit on the couch and watch a game, doggone it. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe I was just being selfish. Maybe I saw myself as just pulling a ton of weight and she maybe not pulling her weight. And so fine, go ahead and be in the kitchen for a little bit because if you did what I did, you would understand why I'm sitting here, right? I'm not recommending that, okay? 
And maybe it's because I was distracted. Maybe, maybe there was something going on in my mind, something in my life. I had had an interaction with somebody who was really bothering me, and I just sort of mindlessly sort of wandered into the living room, turned on the game, and it was nice to tune out the world for a little while. Or, or maybe fear. Maybe I was afraid to get involved. Did you say afraid of working in the kitchen? Yeah. Have you ever tried to load a dishwasher? <laughs> I have learned that there is an art to loading the dishwasher. Just last night, I opened it up and I said, hey, is this thing clean? And she said, no, no, it's dirty. I said, well, I'll turn it on. She said, no, don't turn it on. I got to put more in it. I said, <laughs> you're not going to put more in it because in the sink was a, a bunch of dishes and in the dishwasher, I'm telling you, it was jammed. She said, no, I'll take care of it. Why, well, this morning, I went downstairs and I opened up the dishwasher to get something that I needed and I noticed that there was nothing in the sink and the dishwasher was very full. But I know it was in the sink and I know it was in the dishwasher and I don't know, it's an art. It's an art. And I am not capable of performing that type of artwork. And so fear, yeah. Because I don't want, the moment I load the dishwasher, I cover up something that needs to get cleaned and the thing does its job but I've blocked a dish, and so now I've got an oatmeal-filled dish. You know, I don't know. Fear, sure, sure. And so we would all know that, like, when there's a big job to do, when one person has got to do that job, it takes a certain amount of time. Another person helps them out, you cut down on that time, right? Add another person, the time cuts down. The saying goes, many hands make what? Light work. Many hands make light work. All right, this is true. In fact, we have a family of six. So it's really amazing when we actually get our minds in gear and our hearts are into it and we're going to tackle a project at home. Everyone does their job. It's really cool. Have you ever been a part of something like that, whether in your family or maybe on a sports team? I play baseball. And in baseball, when everyone knows their position, knows their responsibility and just does it, it's really, really fun. I played basketball for a while, too, in high school, and my role in basketball was to make sure that Matt and Drew scored at least 20 points a game. In fact, our coach would call us over in practice and say, listen, Josh, um, good job, you made the basket, but here's the deal. If Matt doesn't score 20 points and Drew doesn't score 24 points every single game, we're going to lose. I've done the math, and when those guys go over 20 points each, we win. Punchline, don't shoot the ball. <laughs> Pass it. Give it to Matt. Give it to Drew. Just do your job. And if I could just learn to do my job, regardless of what that job was, if I could just pass the ball and be happy doing that, we won. And we were a great team when I gave the ball up. Now, I'm not sure what that says about me, but I'll just say Matt and Drew were that good. So... Um, In the kitchen, in the kitchen, when we're all doing our part, regardless of what our part is, amazing things happen. And I think about the kitchen. What do you have to have? You have to have a planner, right? If you have no planner, then we all have all appetizers, all entrees, no dessert. We need a planner. We need the preparer. We need the person who's putting it together, who knows how to do the spices and all the stuff and doesn't even need a recipe. You just stick it in there. Oh, yeah, it's good. I can tell. Pulls it out, and it's amazing, right? You need the cleaning crew, someone to do the dishes. You need someone to wash, rinse, dry. You need someone to prepare the table. You need all those things. Everyone does their job, and when they do, it really, really is amazing. In fact, if you think about the kitchen long enough, you would have to admit that every major happening in your family probably revolves around the kitchen. You're going to have a 4th of July celebration? Uh-huh. 
and you're going to get stuff ready where? In the kitchen. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. Everyone's coming into town. Where are you going to be planted for hours and days? In the kitchen. Christmas, how wonderful, the most wonderful time of the year. In the kitchen. New Year's celebration, you're getting stuff ready. Where? In the kitchen. So where is the kitchen in Bridgewater Church, and how in the world are we supposed to be involved in it, and what would our role be? How would we know what to do? We're going to look at a passage of Scripture today uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have a Bible or device, you can open up to 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to look at uh, Paul's vision for the kitchen of the church. So we're all in the kitchen today. We're all getting an orientation to what the kitchen is like and what our role might be. And I think what we're going to find as we consider what Paul says is that no matter our reason for not engaging in the service, not engaging in the work, this passage will confront it. In fact, I'll show you another slide. If we're ignorant, if we just didn't know that we were supposed to be involved, good news, this passage will inform us. If ignorance isn't our problem, we're just unwilling, this passage will motivate us. If we're just feeling a bit selfish, a little leaning hard on the meantime, this passage will confront us. If today we're just distracted, we just got so much going on, this passage will help bring us focus. And if, like me, you're just a little afraid to get involved because you're not sure you're going to do it right, this passage should strengthen us to overcome that fear and just plug in and get involved. This passage should clear this up. So watch how powerful this is. See if you can catch Paul's vision as he was writing to the Corinthian church who evidently was struggling just like maybe we are and didn't know what their role would be, didn't even know that they should have a role in what goes on in and around and among the church. So here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul says, hey, you might be ignorant on this. Let me just clear this up for you. Let me help you out. But before I keep going, I need to uh, let you know that he's going to address things that maybe you're not going to be sure about what he's talking about. So he says, about the gifts of the Spirit, the Spirit, what Spirit? Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit. So let's just do a little Bible 101 here real quick just to make sure everyone's on the same page. We worship the one true God, the true and living God, the God of the Bible. This God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Son to die for the sins of the world. The Son did that, went back up into heaven and sent the Spirit to live in everyone who is a follower of Jesus by faith. Okay, so one God, exists in three persons. If I get any more detailed than that, I'm probably going to say something wrong. It's just difficult to understand. Nonetheless, it's true. They're all co-equal. They're all co-eternal. They just have different roles. And they are different personalities, people within the Trinity is another word. The triune God. One God eternally existing in three persons. He's talking about the gifts of that one Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what he's talking about. One God, three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, different roles. Moving on, verses 2 and 3. You know that when you were pagans, that is when you were not following Jesus, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. 
Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. In this context, these people were dealing with all kinds of people claiming to speak for God, claiming to speak for some deity, claiming to speak for someone with power, and Paul's helping them to distinguish who's actually following the one true God and who's not. All right, so he's helping them to recognize what kind of gifts are from God coming from the Holy Spirit and which ones aren't. This was new information for them because they're living in a godless culture where it's very easy to be confused. So he's saying the Holy Spirit enables us to do things that are helpful to others, not destructive or wrong. So like there's no spiritual gift of sarcasm. Okay, there's no spiritual gift of belittling others. Those are not helpful. Those are not from God. So Paul's just sort of helping them to recognize what's going on. All right, verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. All right, here's the truth he's given us. The Holy Spirit gives to every follower of Jesus at least one spiritual gift. A spiritual gift would be a God-given capacity for service within the local church. So if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you have at least one spiritual gift from God given to you by the Holy Spirit. Good news, right? You got a gift. You got a gift. And that gift is meant to be expressed, used within the body of Christ, within this church, within this community here. All right? Now, this was interesting. He says different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. The reason he's saying this is because 2,000 years ago in Corinth, there were temples and shrines to all kinds of false gods. And you had to go to each different god to get each different kind of benefit. So they believed, for instance, that if you wanted intellect and learning, then you went to the goddess Athena. In fact, the city of Athens was named after the goddess Athena. So if you wanted to grow in your wisdom and in your learning, you worshiped and prayed to Athena. I wrote some of these down. If you wanted to be a great hunter, that came from the god Artemis. So you would appeal to Artemis if you wanted to be a good hunter. A gift of music, you would have gone to Apollo for that, okay? If you um, wanted to be a better fighter, join the UFC, all right, you would need to go to the god Ares, so they would have been very familiar with gods, false gods, who specialized in one thing. He's saying we have one God, many different kinds of gifts. Our God is capable of great variety. So from one God comes all kinds of gifts. Pretty amazing. Verses 5 through 7. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. What he's saying here is, even if you have the same gift as someone else, your gift might fall into a different slot, meaning maybe, maybe me and someone else can teach, but maybe one person's really good in a small group setting, just can bring that group in, have them track along. Others might be better at more public speaking. There are different slots, even within these gifts. Verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So here's what he's saying. If you're a follower of Jesus, our God, through the Holy Spirit, has given you at least one spiritual gift, and that gift is meant to be used in and among this church community. And as you use it, God will work through you to accomplish something that you, in and of yourself, would not be able to accomplish. And he says that we're all given these and that they're given for the common good. So when you use your gift, it will benefit everyone else. And when 
Everyone uses their gift together in sync, together all serving. God does something bigger than any one of us could have done individually or that we could have hoped to do collectively. He does something amazing. And verse 6 tells us, go back to verse 6, different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Here's what we learn about that. We're going to give and we're going to serve and we're going to use our gifts and God is responsible for the results. So you don't have to worry about the outcome. You and I just do our role in the kitchen of Bridgewater Church and let God do something amazing through it. And when that happens, it's unmistakable. And it's really, really, really amazing. So here's the big punchline. All Christians are made by God to serve others. All Christians are made by God to serve others. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, part of God's agenda for your life is that you would serve other people. How do I know? Because verse 7 says, to each one. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Every single person in this room who is a follower of Jesus by faith was made by God to serve other people. All right? So one of the things that I get to do that's just a little bit awkward because I'm here in front of you for the first time just saying, get off the couch and into the kitchen. All right? But I'm going to go back home to Montrose and then you can take it up with Adam. All right? You can talk to Doc Bixby if you have a problem. Seriously, if you're enjoying what's happening here, great. We hope everyone does and then gets off the couch and into the kitchen. Now, um, as you leave this room today, you're going to get a little sheet that looks like this. This is a next steps form. What we're going to do is put one of these in your hands so that you can go from here and you can take it up with God and say, God, the issue of whether or not you want me to serve has been taken care of. I know that you want me to. How? Am I loading the dishwasher? Or am I just picking up a broom? Am I drying? Am I serving? What am I doing? I know I have a role. I just need to find it. And now let me just say, this list is not exhaustive. There may be, it may be that you are burdened and gifted for something that doesn't fit this bill. Great. Make up your own ministry. There are people who meet at 6 a.m. every Wednesday and pray for you. They pray for all of Bridgewater Church. They grab the list of every, every name who's come through here and pray by name for people in Bridgewater Church. There are people who just write cards. They, they become aware somehow of the needs within our community. I'm not just talking about Tunkhannock, Montrose, Halstead, uh, Vestal, and Conklin as well. And send out cards. People get cards, have no how'd they know? They, they care. So they find out. We got people who do all kinds of things. We got last week at Montrose, I was up on stage, someone threw a tomato at me, uh, to me. And um, that's because someone just had a ton of uh, produce from their garden and just wanted to share it. Like they couldn't possibly eat all those tomatoes and didn't want to bother canning them either. Just share them. So maybe you don't fit this list, but maybe you haven't found your your gift in the kitchen. Maybe your gift is pre-kitchen. Maybe God has blessed you materially and you just are crazy generous. And maybe that's your gift. And God looks on you and smiles because you just, you put gas in the engine. 
And it's really, really amazing. Whatever it is, when we do our part, God is glorified and lives are changed. Let me ask you a question. If everyone in our church served as much as you do, what would our church look like? What would our community, what would the community of Tunkhannock, Springville, Dimmick, Mishapin, Factoryville, where, wherever you're coming from, what would the community look like if everyone served as much as you do? Would there be a church in Tunkhannock if everybody served as much as you do? Something to think about. Church has been described like a football field with 40 men in desperate need of exercise, surrounded by 90,000 people. I said it wrong again. 40 people on the field in desperate need of rest, surrounded by 90,000 people in desperate need of exercise. Consider that as the college football season kicks off and the NFL later on this week. Let me just say to you, get in the game. Get in the game. And can I just assure you from 1 Corinthians 12, you don't even have to be world class. You just have to be a follower of Jesus. That's it. You are qualified as simply a follower of Jesus. But maybe that was a lot. Maybe you're thinking, oh my word, I've never met you. And okay. Let me just say, where do you start? Let me just say to start in your home. Start in your home. A number of years ago, 13, 14 years ago, I think I got the math right now, Kristen and I were, um, we were interviewing with the church to see if God might lead us there to join their staff. And we went over to the lead pastor's house for dinner, and uh, he and his wife had three girls, and we had had dinner together. It was a great time. I think we had Cole and Maggie, our two oldest, with us. The other two weren't around yet. And uh, after dinner, the wife went into the kitchen and started cleaning up. And I fully expected the husband to stay at the table and keep interacting with us. He got right up and went right into the kitchen. And I'm going to tell you, he looked very comfortable there, grabbing a washcloth, a rag, and he's wiping off the counters. In fact, he came over to the table, and I was sitting like this. And I lifted up my elbows as he wiped underneath and, like, kind of tickled my feet as he grabbed the broom and swept underneath the table. And I'm like, this guy, what? What is he doing? I mean, his wife was very busy too, but he was also very busy. And it just threw me off because I really wasn't used to that kind of a culture. So when he came back to the table, we we're going to have dessert later on, I think. Um, I just said to him in a quiet moment, um, do, do, you always, do you always help in the kitchen like that? Is this like part of your normal routine and rhythm? And he said, Yeah. He said, if I'm reading the Bible correctly, then no one in my home ought to be a greater servant than I am. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought, oh. And I'll tell you, that man is still pastoring today, every Sunday speaking to thousands of people. And they hear him proclaim the word of God. And I know that on the weekends and weekdays, he grabs a broom. He sweeps the kitchen. A servant. So start in your home. Start in your workplace. Followers of Jesus ought to be known as amazing servants in their workplace. I don't care what your title or rank is. Grab the mop. Grab the broom. Don't steal someone's job. Make someone's day. All right? 
Maybe start in your community. What, there are needs here. There are needs in this community. How can you serve in this community? And certainly don't overlook the church. You can get involved. And I would say, you ask the question, what if I don't know my gift? What if I don't know what my gift is? I would just say, you'll never figure it out while sitting on the couch. It will not just come to you. How do I know that the dishwasher is not my job? Trial and error. All right? And it's not, and I'm totally okay with that. You know what my job is? You could ask my kids. You could ask my wife. You know what they'll tell you? I grabbed the broom. I grabbed the broom. That lesson has stuck with me. And every opportunity that I have, when I'm not distracted, I grab the broom. And I'm glad to do it. I'm really, really glad to do it. So just jump in. In fact, the others who are with you will let you know whether or not you're on the right track. You grab a microphone, they'll let you know real, real quick whether or not you should have a microphone. All right? Let me, uh, let me show you this picture. You guys know what this fan is from? You guys also pity the fools? As fans from the A-Team, it's also from the backyard of my neighbor Jason when I was growing up. All the young boys in our neighborhood would head to Jason's backyard because there was a junked version of this van in his backyard, and it was fun for hours. We would play in this thing. We would play on this thing. In fact, the neighbor lady across the way threatened to call the cops on us because we were on top of the van. I was like, evidently, you don't know how to work a van because this is the place to be. But we, uh, it was amazing. We, we accomplished missions. We saved lives. Uh, I mean, we, we just had, we traveled the world in that van, right there in that backyard, parked, junked, flat tires, not going anywhere. It was amazing. But you know what? That van was not designed to entertain a bunch of young boys. It wasn't designed to have us eat our, our little goldfish snacks in there. You know what that van was designed for? It was designed for missions. It was designed for hauling. It was designed for making a difference, having an impact, accomplishing something. And you know what? So was the church. And you know what else? So were you. And maybe, like I did in the living room, you have fallen into the funk, into the trap somehow of just showing up and allowing what is happening here to entertain you and help pass the time on the weekends, and maybe inspire you a little bit and make you feel a little bit better. But that's not all it was designed to do. The church is designed to be a movement of God on mission, fueled by God's Spirit, empowered by the people of God. And I just want to know, what, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Are you going to keep playing in the van? Accomplishing pretend missions? Will you get in the kitchen, grab a tool, a utensil, and start working? Maybe today you were caught on the couch just absentmindedly watching the game. And maybe today is the day you stand up off the couch and get in the kitchen and start contributing. After all, this is the way of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we follow his example, Mark 10, 45. It says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. So not only do we follow the example of Jesus, but this morning we also get to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. In fact, on your chair when you came in, you had a little communion pack. I'm just going to talk through this here for a second. If you're new to this, let me just make some explanation here. There are two lids on this thing. The first one is a really thin, clear one. That's going to give you access to the little wafer in there. We're going to do that part first. The big, thick tab gets you access to the juice. We're going to do that part second. We're all going to eat together, and then we're all going to drink together, but not yet. We are celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion. As Jesus was preparing to die, he gathered his closest followers together with him and said, I'm about to die, but I want to let you know that you need to continue to celebrate and remember what I'm about to do even after I'm gone. And so he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread symbolizes my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so he helped the disciples, his closest followers, understand what his life and death actually meant. And as he ascended to heaven, he left for his church, for his followers, two big things to do together. In fact, both of them happened in this room today. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we're going to do this here together. Before we eat the bread, we read from uh, the Apostle Paul again in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, there's a way you need to go about this. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So let me just tell you, we're going to take a moment here, quietly before the Lord, and we're going to examine ourselves, asking God to reveal the sin in our hearts, and we'll confess it, and we'll be restored once again into a relationship of harmony with him. If there's anything that you need to take care of between you and another person, you need to do that as well before doing this. So that's what's going to happen. I'm going to give us a couple moments here of silence as we go before the Lord, and then we'll partake of this together. Go ahead. God, we know this morning you can see right into each of our hearts. Whether or not we confess anything to you, you know what's there. And I want to thank you that those of us who are your children this morning by faith, we don't need to pray again that you would save us from our sins, but in many ways this week, even this morning, we've walked out of step with you. We have violated your commands. I want to thank you for your forgiveness. That means that we can have a right relationship again. That my conscience can be clean before you. And thank you that Jesus 
death for me made that possible. For me to have a clean conscience, not because I'm innocent, but because Jesus, the innocent, became guilty for me so that you could look at me as innocent. We celebrate that this morning. With gratitude in our hearts, we remember and we celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. he quotes, he says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And just as the bread, the cracker, symbolizes his body, so the juice symbolizes his blood. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we do. And this morning, we celebrate the fact that Jesus' sacrifice for our sin has freed us from living for ourselves. We now have the capacity to live for him, and not only to live for him, but to find joy in living for him and in serving in his church. I would wager that we have yet to experience the power of a church where everyone is fully invested and fully involved. Week by week, we celebrate carnations, people giving their lives to Jesus. We celebrate baptisms. Even though we're a little bit like the football field, could you even imagine what would happen if instead of offering up our excuses, we offered up our services and began to plug in? What couldn't we do? It would be amazing, in sync, a thing of beauty. And it's there for us if we would follow Jesus. Would you pray with me as the band comes? God, I want to thank you for making it possible that I can be rescued from the tyranny of living for myself, the pointlessness and hopelessness of doing only that which pleases me and is convenient for me. And I want to thank you that you offer that to me, not as some subpar way of life, but you fill me with joy and excitement as I serve you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room as well as we consider what you might have us do with the gifts you've given us, that you would give us the courage to figure it out. And then would you fill us up as we pour ourselves out for you? finding that your way of doing things is far superior to ours. We ask all this for your great glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.